Welcome to Movie Catch Up, the podcast where two friends force each other to catch up on movies the other has never seen. I'm Greg. And I'm Leanne, and we're two very opinionated people with lots of thoughts on the pop culture we consume. Today we'll be discussing Stardust and Kate and Leopold. Uh, before we get into the movies, uh, let's catch up with each other for a moment. Uh, Leanne, what's been going on with you apart from the world ending? Um, not anything too exciting. I went for a walk this afternoon just to get out for a little bit, and you know the business complex, like kind of kitty corner across the street from my apartment? Yep. Um, they've ripped out all of the like bushes and plants and everything along there, so it's just bare dirt against this um, brick building, and it looks very stark, which kind of lends itself to this whole sort of weird dystopia feel that we're currently living through yeah so it was a bit of a weird thing i took a picture a of weird, it just to document a weird time to do that yeah what about you uh i just got animal crossing new leaf um all my friends in quarantine are playing it a lot more than me because they're in quarantine and i'm not i'm still working yeah um but it is amazing you get to live on this awesome little island with all your little animal villagers and have a loan free debt and get your own housing and it's just like the perfect escape for a millennial that's never going to own their own house um and it's just so sunny and bright and cheerful and there's no virus on it and i love it so for the first movie we're going to talk about i picked for you stardust this is a 2007 classic from uh director matthew vaughn who I didn't remember what else he'd really directed, so looking it up, it looks like the main things are um, Kick-Ass, the X-Men First Class and Days of Future Past ones, and all the Kingsman movies, which, I mean, that's a little bit hit and miss there for me. But he did, like, produce Snatch, which I really like, and some other Guy Ritchie stuff. So, you know, hit and miss. Um, I picked Stardust for you because it is one of my all-time favorite, like, feel-good kind of just, um, it's been a bad day, popcorn movies, very along the lines for me with, um, lump it in with, like, the Princess Bride type stuff, um, kind of like that whimsical, happy fairy tale feel. Uh, so what did you think, having never seen it before? I liked it a lot. Um, it's not a movie that I didn't see because I didn't have any interest in it. It's just, it was never really sort of in front of me. Something that I had seen um, online, um, you know, clips or gifts or whatever on, on Tumblr, specifically the scene at the very end where um, she says, you know, what do stars do? That's sort of like the iconic um, thing that I know about it. But yeah. other than that, I didn't really know anything else. Um, you'll probably not be wildly surprised to hear me say that I was thinking about what a good Dungeons and Dragons adventure it would make pretty much the whole way through. I didn't even think about that, but that is very accurate. Yeah, there were just like a lot of things that I think would be fun to, to pull out of that, but I uh, don't want to get too deep into D&D conversation. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to happen eventually at some point. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found was really... Uh, interesting was the market town after um, Tristan's dad goes across the wall reminded me a lot of um, something from season two of the podcast archive 81 where like you barter for 
for certain things like specifically there's oh, um, yeah. one thing when, where it was like he, it uh, might cost you the color of your hair um so I, yeah. i'm sure that's probably something that they were inspired by um but it, it was something that i immediately yeah. uh, drew a correlation between well it is um so i've never read the book so this is based off the neil gaiman book stardust and i've been meaning to read it for a long time um it'd be interesting to see how much was added to this from the book or uh, that wasn't in the book that was added to this adaptation but uh, I'm sure a lot of like that really good world building which is one of the key things for me in this movie is the world building's really well done uh, was definitely probably directly from the book mm-hmm. um, I also just generally wrote down like Michelle Pfeiffer equals yes because I love Michelle Pfeiffer and she was fantastic yeah. in this yeah. movie yeah we, we could talk about Michelle Pfeiffer for a while. Essentially, this was probably the movie that really got me on to Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, I hadn't seen her in a lot before this, I don't think. And this just, like... I've always had a thing for the... Um, those, like, sassy witch characters. Like, you know, every gay boy grows up loving all the witch characters. It's like a thing. And she was, like, that iconic... Uh, witch for me that she's so sassy so much power she just like revels in it and she does such a good job with this character it's wonderful yeah i also really loved uh the wall guard um just like such a great character in general but also like the sort of character development down the road where tristan tries to get across the wall and he gets like his ass handed to him was uh you were expecting it to happen exactly the way that it did for his dad and then it didn't so it Uh, subverted your expectation in that way which was a lot of fun one thing i want to talk about that that really kind of reminds me of is on this rewatch and it's the reason i've always loved it but i didn't really connect it till now was how just like really campy a lot of this movie is like it plays itself very um like fairy tale on the surface Mm -hmm. but there are so many moments in this that are like like really over the top campy slapsticky just like there's like a tone in this movie that is very different than what you'd expect, especially with uh, a lot of the princes that are dying and getting killed off in this chase for the crown, how comedic a lot of their deaths are. And then they show up as ghosts and um, you know, the one, the one prince dies while in the bathtub naked and then he shows up and all his brothers are just like looking down at his crotch. And it's just well, I mean like, the reason for that, yeah. and it was something that I enjoyed so much was like he's in the bath, but he's also like bragging to this woman about like yeah. how big his dick is, and, like encouraging her not, to like come over and like you know but see the evidence. But he's not actually bragging about his dick; he's bragging about like his kingdom or something. Yeah, but like, it's cutting back and forth between the conversation, insinuating that it's like the double entendre is really good. Yeah. Um, going off of the the camp part, um, this would come up later, but also there's Captain Shakespeare who was just. Oh, such yeah. a great character Robert De Niro did I was so worried. great with that I really thought you weren't going to like it at all no, I actually thought so that was going to be your one thing with this movie is that you were going to say you hated the Captain Shakespeare subplot I'm glad you didn't no, I, I think know it a was, lot of people it was, who didn't like it it was really well done um, I thought so too yeah I, I mean I wasn't really sure what to expect but I thought it was really well done Robert De Niro really did well with the character in terms of like the interaction with um, Tristan and Evian and even at the end when you know see him that he's 
doing a little bit of like cross dressing, but it's not played for for laughs or anything, which I, yeah. I thought was great. Even the uh, the cat or not the cast, um, his crew being like, we've known the whole time, but like you're you'll always be yeah. our captain was just that, super that's great. That's what sold it. That's what sold it for me. It was one of those moments where I've watched this movie a lot of times, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to keep holding up because. There is a little bit of the aspect of it early on where Captain Shakespeare is really ham, like playing it hammy with the whole like, we're gonna pass you around to all the boys and have their way with you and like just going so over the top with it, and it get. There's like a few moments in there where I was like, this is kind of icky, but it it is played so campy and for laughs in that moment that, you know, he's just playing it up this whole shtick, mm-hmm. and then. The whole cross-dressing scene, like, it is somewhat played for laughs. You've got all this fighting happening while he's, like, dancing to, uh, like, opera music, which uh, I want to take one moment to pause. I'm pretty sure some of the music being played in that scene with Captain Shakespeare was Modern Major General, which was also heavily played in Kate and Leopold. Yeah, the, really funny. There were some interesting overlaps in um, yes. in themes between the two two movies, despite the fact that they are very different from each other. Yeah, just like this is this is Modern Major General from Pirates of Penzance, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yes, I thought that in the end, it was really really nice to see like the crew coming around to like we've known the whole time, etc. And then I don't know if you caught it, but at the wedding scene, did you see that? Um, <laughs> Victoria's oh, new yeah, husband with, or whatever. He like winks at Humphrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they yeah. totally fucked. Like, <laughs> it just happened. Like, it's very clearly insinuated. And there was a lot of sex in this movie, like heavily referenced. Like, at the beginning of the movie where um, um, his dad takes, like, is going over the wall and all that mm-hmm. and meets, meets uh, this this woman selling wares for a kiss and color of the hair, that whole scene. And then they just go in the wagon and fuck. And then it cuts to nine months later, there's a baby. And it's just like, it was really funny. Yeah. I wasn't really expecting for her to be like, yeah, you can do a thing for me. And that thing would be to like have sex with her. That was kind of unexpected. Um, One, if I had to pick things that I didn't like, it wasn't really anything major. I didn't really like that Tristan's mother is like never named. And even though we know at the end that she's like the yes, one daughter, I, I'm getting to that. Um, okay. But at the yes, end, yes, at yes. the end, where it's uh, you know basically inf- inferred that she's Una, the the singular daughter. Yeah. But at the very beginning, it was like your mother and like this princess and like for most of the movie, she's unnamed. So I had written that down as a note very early Fair. on. That it's like the fact that she's never named is kind of annoying. It's always that one female character that just never has any identity. Yeah, I wrote down that, um, early on I wrote down that this time watching it, like, she's such a good character in that she, like, she's played very well by the actress, I guess I should say, in that she has such a strong presence in the movie for not being in it a lot and not getting a lot to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I always remembered her, like, especially that first scene, she plays it so well, um... But I was just a little frustrated. Like, yeah, she doesn't get a lot of agency in this movie. She doesn't really have that name till the end, like you were saying. I do like that um, she, when she steals the wagon, um, locks the witch inside the hut that's captured her and steals the wagon to go save Yvain. 
that was a really nice scene, so she does get some to do at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wrote down that I could do without Ricky Gervais, but he kind of gets what he deserves as a character. And I think yeah. given how slimy the character was, it was like an appropriate casting choice, but it is what it is. I, I could always do without Ricky Gervais, but in 2007, it definitely doesn't bug me as much as in, as in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the casting, just like, there was some amazing casting in this. Uh, I like the the little scene, even where Rupert Everett shows up as like the pompous son, and his father's like, oh, look out the window, and everything you see is yours, and then he just gets pushed out the window and is dead. Like, that's that's great. I love Rupert Everett. You can show up forever. You know, one thing I really liked about this movie is that there was probably about four or five separate overarching uh, narratives that was happening and they were all woven together really well and they all concluded in a way that like works very seamlessly together um so you have like what the witches are seeking out for the star and you've got the succession of the the kingdom and you've got tristan trying to bring the star back for um victoria and you've got like his mother trying to deal with her thing so there's like a lot of things that are going on but they all Kind of sort of dovetail together at the end to resolve yeah. themselves in a way that really worked. I really like the the magic system, like kind of going back to the whole world building of it all. Um, one thing that has always struck me with this movie is like the way that magic works with the witches was really interesting. I love like even the rune stones that they're using to like divine and like cutting open the the animals to like divine and stuff is a little gross, but like how all the magic worked was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the idea of needing to eat the star to regain some of their beauty and their magic and all that. Um, I love magic systems. And this one wasn't too complicated, but there was enough unique elements in it that really stood out to me. And my last note is that I cried. I, I joked that I would cry, but I cried at the end. Just because I cried at the end this it time too. really it's, well. It did resolve itself really well. I, It's like that Princess Bride ending, right? Where it's so happy and uplifting and the idea that um, they live together happily for all these years ruling this kingdom and then are joining each other in the stars eternally and that you need the heart of a star to, be, to live eternal life and because Yvain loved him so much, her heart was his. and like It's just such an adorable, cute message. Yeah, and just before the ending, the official ending, when Tristan goes to talk to Victoria and he leaves a message with, like, the innkeeper, which gets mm. garbled in its delivery to Yvain. Yeah, not my uh, favorite plot device, but... I mean, it's a very yeah. classic trope of, you know, the... Yeah, the sure. um The mixed-up message... But, you know, it was so heartbreaking because and at first you're not really sure if, like, that's actually what he's doing, even though at that point you know that, like, Tristan has obviously fallen in love with her. But um, I really liked the way that that was kind of subverted when Victoria comes out. She's just as pompous and, you know, up her own ass as ever. definitely wrote down, I do not understand, and I will never understand, having watched this movie many times why he falls for Victoria. Um, and I, like, I get the implications there that he's very young when he, before he goes over the wall, he's very young, like, in maturity. He's very naive. He's in, from a small town, and Victoria is the most beautiful woman in the small town, and 
you can kind of get a sense that Victoria is a good manipulator, um, but we just we know nothing about her, and she's just pompous and horrible. Yeah. And yet is going to go across the world to find this star for her. It always bugs me that he's just going to do all this for her, even though she does nothing for him. Well, even when he's... The fact that he put together this night picnic for them, and he's, like, telling her all of the things that he would do to, like, prove that he would love or how much he loves her. It's just like, you are putting out so much energy for this girl, and she does not care. Mm Mm-hmm. Like if if you're if you're impressed enough that some guy is gonna go to like the next town over, like the way that he's talking about, it's like he went all the way to Ipswich. Ipswich. It's Ipswich. It's like basically like driving from Maple Ridge or Abbotsford to like oh they went all the way to Vancouver to like buy a ring and it's like it's not like literally down the road like it's not that far. Yeah, they did a good job at establishing the small town life in that short few scenes at the beginning. Um, with Victoria. Um, I do like that Evane does confront him on why he loves Victoria. Like, I think it's when they're captured on the ship, maybe? Or before that. Um, I think it's around that point. One thing about the um, their time on the ship is, like, apparently it was literally maybe a couple of days, but it looked like it was literal weeks. Like, it seemed like they were on the ship for a really long time, and then it was like, Victoria's birthday is tomorrow! I was like, Jesus, how long were they actually gone for? I love that makeover on the boat, where all of a sudden his short, shaggy hair is just this luscious, long, like, down-to-his-ass weave. Yeah, it looked great. (laughs) Hilarious. I don't know if I like the, the long hair on him, though, honestly. We ha- how have we not talked about him yet? Um, so how am I forgetting his name? He's he's Daredevil. Yes. Um, his name Ben something? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. Love this actor. It was so funny because I did not put together... Charlie Cox is the Daredevil. actor's name. Charlie Cox. Love Charlie Cox. Did not put together that this was the same person from Daredevil. Um... Until I think a couple rewatches ago, because obviously I hadn't seen this in a while, and then I watched Daredevil, and then going back to this, it was like, oh my god, that's Daredevil, except he's a tiny little adorable, not, like, self-flagellating, punishing Daredevil character. And it's, like, very stark difference from this, like, very naive character to this, like, super hardened character. He's a great actor. Yeah, I think it's an easy thing to be, like, oh, you don't recognize them because there's quite a bit of aging that's gone in between the two movies he's got facial hair he's just generally looks yeah. more I don't want to say masculine but I'm going to say masculine I thought he did such a good job Anna Vane like Claire Danes honestly such an icon I love her she within a few scenes of meeting her had such established character so sassy so witty she was such a great foil to him and it's not too I, I don't know I guess it's kind of a trope but i like the idea of like he is just so naive and she just like has to kind of whip him into shape through this journey into like realizing how stupid he is probably one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is very early on when uh tristan first finds uh probably what i've written down here nothing says romance like the gift of a kidnapped injured woman yeah i wrote that down as well to bring up because it is such a good line 
The other line I wrote down was from the very beginning, too. Just, Father, I lost my job. <laughs> Where it's just like, you see Victoria go to the shop, like, oh, you want to walk me home? And then you just watch his boss, like, staring, stunned that he's just leaving his job. Well, he's in the middle Victoria of helping home. another customer yeah. when she comes in, and he just immediately changes <laughs> <Yeah>. gears. <laughs> so he walks her home, and then it just immediately cuts from the, the, his boss's face to him staring in the mirror. Father, I lost my job. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, I, this is something that may or may not blow your mind, but apparently Henry Cavill played Humphrey in this movie. Played who? Humphrey. No, that's Henry Cavill? Yeah. Uh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's shocking. I mean, he's got a lot of weird hair going on there. That's crazy. Dang. Oh, Ian McKellen was the narrator for this. Yeah. Good job, Ian McKellen. You get that check. <laughs> uh, okay, anything else I've got written down here? Oh, I love that uh, people only try and cross the wall in this one tiny, tiny section, even though it's like a four-foot wall that you could just hop. <laughs> yeah, for it's sure. Great. I mean, you know, like, why it's put more effort in tale. than necessary? Yeah. It's a very fairy tale movie, so a lot of it doesn't, like, have to make a lot of sense, but they do keep continuity within the context of the world, at least. Yeah, and it definitely uh, builds on that... Um small town folktale uh, situation where like you can't cross the wall because it's a portal to another world um, the yeah. idea that it's like dangerous actually when they first mentioned that it was like a portal to another world um, I kind of interpreted that as being like just like another land you know the way that people sort of discourage yeah. people from um, crossing borders because there's like other different people over there but it is in actuality like a portal to sort of a magical world yeah it's definitely classic uh, I didn't mention before I own two DVD copies of this so I can gladly give you one of my two <laughs> DVD copies of this movie after if you ever want to rewatch it it kind of sits right next to Princess Bride and a few others for me yeah it definitely has the the feeling of uh, a comfort movie you know if you need something to watch that's lighthearted and it's not yeah. something that you have to sort of invest yourself too much into uh, you can certainly put it on just, just kind of as a nice background noise. Yeah, for sure. Very tempted to read the book now. Probably worthwhile to read the book. I did see yeah. in the credits that uh, Neil Gaiman was uh, listed as a producer, and I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely the kind of thing that he would have um, yeah. uh, a finger in. But to know that it's based on a book that he wrote makes total sense. Uh, so overall... Would you rate this movie um, on the ketchup scale? Perfect as it is, doesn't need any ketchup on it to make it a good movie. Could it use a little ketchup? Or do you just need to douse this movie in ketchup to get through it? I think for what it is, I would say it's perfect as is. Like, it's a movie that knows what it's trying to do. Um, yeah. It falls into a particular genre that has certain kinds of tropes. I Like, is it a perfect movie? No, but I wouldn't want to do anything to to change what it is yeah i was thinking going in it's been maybe a year since i've seen it i do watch it fairly frequently but i was thinking nah, i don't know if some of the captain shakespeare stuff will hold up also some of the cgi might be aging stuff like that was more my worry but honestly the cgi looked really good 
uh, it's still on my DVD copy, looked great, held up. There wasn't any like weird uncanny stuff. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with, with how well the Captain Shakespeare stuff held up. Because anytime there's cross-dressing played to opera music where people are fighting and it could be played as a gag, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you get worried. Yeah, there wasn't uh, anything I would, visually I would break that the I same. Yeah, there wasn't anything visually that I noticed that I would point out as showing the age of the movie. Yeah, I would say this is definitely perfect as is. This movie does not need any ketchup. Uh, like you said, it's not the ultimate most perfect movie out there, but for what this movie was trying to do, it was very well executed. Yeah. Okay, so my pick this week for you was the movie Kate and, Re- Kate and Leopold. Uh, this was released in 2001 and stars Meg Ryan, Hugh Jackman, Leif Schreiber. also features Natasha Leon, Brecken Meyer, and Bradley Whitford. Uh, it's directed by James Mangold, who also directed the movies Girl Interrupted, uh, Night and Day, uh, Wolverine, the 2013 one, and also Logan. Boy, um, that's a wide variety. And it has a 50% Rotten Tomatoes rating. So I'm interested to, to know what your uh, thoughts yeah. on this were. Uh, I forgot to mention Stardust was a 76% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Oh, oh also, my reason for choosing this movie for you um, is really related to Christmas because Netflix did that the night before Christmas movie, which has a very mm-hmm. similar plot of like a man out of time who meets this woman and like falls in love with her. But I feel like this of is a much better version of that kind of yeah. narrative for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I haven't seen uh, a night out of time or whatever the hell, but uh, I was very tempted. You know how much I love Vanessa Hudgens, although not so much the past week or two. Maybe I'll recommend um, it to you as a Christmas movie down the road, but probably <laughs> not. So for me, Overall thoughts. Um, I have a lot of thoughts in this movie, but my first is definitely the cast. Like, even just reading the cast, you'd even get some of the great ones. Kirsten Schaal is in this movie, and she is amazing, even though she's in three minutes, if that. I love her. I also... I didn't even look it up. I'm pretty sure Viola Davis is in this movie as a cop. Yep, she is. I I have both of them written down um, because I forgot that they were in it, but I was like, is that Viola Davis? Like just it's a bit, it's been a while since I've watched yes. this movie, so it was a lot of people who I was my, like, oh, I forgot they for were even here. Was is this cop in quotes? Why is your penis on a dead girl's phone, Viola Davis? <laughs> God, I feel like that is a line that would work yeah. for the character she was playing in this movie, even though she was literally yeah. on screen for like yeah. thirty seconds. <sighs> Natasha Leone is so good. Oh my God. Okay. Um, overall. Uh, this movie, I, as Leanne knows, and as anyone listening to this will now know, I am not very well-versed on my rom-coms, especially not uh, late 90s, early 2000s rom-coms. Um, late 2000s, I started watching a few more type things, but uh, not very well-versed in this. That said, uh, I did enjoy it. It was very much a time capsule of 2001. Um it is very early 2000s. Um, yeah, I have a few notes about yeah. certain things that were like, these are only things that would ever happen in the early 2000s. 
like I, her boss offering her yeah. edamame like it's this whole thing the and amount then, of talk about palm pilots in this movie and how crucial palm pilots yes. were the plot <laughs> did not hold up well <laughs> wow so I definitely didn't like it as a romantic comedy because it wasn't super romantic I didn't really like them together so much and I do have to confess I think this is the first time I've ever seen a movie with Meg Ryan in it it will not be your first I guarantee it my last yeah I don't think I've seen her in anything else I know so much about Meg Ryan from cultural osmosis but wow she is I can see I can definitely can see why she was such a big star this time um yeah Meg Ryan wow that hair though it was very distracting this whole movie. It was so PC. Every time she turned her head, it would just bounce so much. It had a life of its own. Yeah, I have um, a very, very love-hate relationship with Meg Ryan's appearance in this movie. Like, her style is... It's super androgynous. Is very androgynous, but there's a lot of scenes where, like, I'll, like she'll it. be in an outfit where I'm like, wow, I love that outfit. And then sometimes it's, like, weirdly conservative. Like, all her blazers that were, like, buttoned up to yeah, the neck were very weird. Those very buttoned up blazers were they were a lot i like them though i was simultaneously like what is going on i can't stand this look and also this is the best thing ever you need this is this is great yeah it's very polarizing uh, depending on what you're looking at um so being introduced to the beginning to hugh jackman's character of leopold uh within like that first 10 minute scene of just set in the past i was just like oh so he's gay like he is a confirmed bachelor. <laughs> he's basically just Oscar Wilde. Like, he's got so much gay wit. He does not want to get married. He just wants to be that confirmed bachelor life. Like, and it's just very much that. And it's... then he sees this, like, acute man off in the distance doing something. He's not sure. Like, who's that? Who's What's Leo Schreib doing over there? I'm going to go chase him. And, like, is just obsessed with him and just has to catch him. And it's like, it was something. It's interesting that you immediately read him as being gay because um, in this rewatch for me, given a lot of things in my personal life in the last little while, I was reading him as potentially being like an aromantic character and I would say the same thing for Kate. I could definitely see that as well. Um, I wasn't reading him so much uh, sexually queer as like uh, tropally queer, like very oscar wilde um british gay wit type of thing okay yeah like the way he talked the way he carried himself everything was very it was reminded me a lot of oscar wilde um his little sassy quips and comebacks all the time it was that classic queer wit uh and so i couldn't really get that out of my head the whole time and that definitely made the romantic part of the rom-com a little weird i also noted that it was about it was over 50 minutes in before there was any rom in the rom-com at all. Like, they take quite a while before they even have a spark between the two leads, which was an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. I'm not super... Like, I don't know if that's, like, super common in a lot of these movies to, like, have such a long build-up before they have that moment where they finally have, like, some sort of a spark. I would say, based on my extensive experience watching rom-coms, good and bad, that, um... It's fairly normal for a lot of the story to take place before um, there's a moment where like a, a switch is flipped and like all of a sudden there's 
yeah. attraction that happens. Um, I know in like a lot of the Hallmark movies that it isn't until like somebody points out that like you're a man and she's a woman and like kind of does yeah. the nudge nudge thing with their elbow before somebody goes like, oh, I guess this is somebody that I could view in like a romantic sense. And all of a sudden there's like romance in the story. That's just kind of how these work. Like by and yeah. large, it could be like Leopold could basically be um, you uh, work too hard and you are selling shit to people. And also like your boss is trying to take oh advantage of you and just like helping oh her God. figure out her life. And then he goes back to his time and she goes off and is like, is be fabulous to be fabulous. Eyed her fully. Like, like he was just one of the guys from queer eye when he got here, he was fixing everyone's life. He was like, you need to get a new look. You need to figure out your romantic life. You need to do this. Your job sucks. He was just queer eyeing the shit out of everyone he met. Yeah. It's kind of great. I love that he just, like, fixed every, like, his little toaster fix and all this. Like, the stuff with his inventing was really good, really good, and I wasn't really expecting that from this movie. Like, it opens with him, like, he's invented the elevator. Well, um, he's supposed to invent the elevator, but he hasn't yet, so it becomes a problem when he suddenly is, like, in 2001. Right, but is that, because that's never really brought up much like, well no Stuart talks about that he said he's going to invent kinda. the elevator um so, so it's like a future back, thing yeah but but that's not super clearly like i wrote down a lot of notes in the first half an hour to an hour about like is he time traveling to steal the elevator to like invent the elevator himself like is that why he's going back in time and then i wrote did Hugh jackman invent the elevator go off Hugh jackman like <laughs> it was just <laughs> There was so much elevator, and then it opens on Meg Ryan, the first shot we see of her is in an elevator, and then Stuart falls down an elevator and, like, should have died. Like, he just clearly should have died, right? Well, I mean, like, it depends on what floor they were coming from. I particularly... Like, oh! Splat. True. Like, that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, movie liberties. I really did like I that because... I thought um, he was dead. Leopold was in the future that, like, for the whole movie until he goes back elevators are just like not a thing and it's a thing that they are trying to fix but like i need somebody here like right now and the fact that the elevator full stop doesn't exist anymore is like not really addressed it's just like there's a problem with elevators it's, yeah it's not addressed and i really thought it was going to come back in a big way and then the elevator thing really didn't come back after the first hour it was just like kind of in the background being mentioned here and there and then it was just drop but then there were lots of scenes like there was a scene towards the end where kate's at work and like everybody is just like marching up the stick up and down the stairs I so it's just I like a lot of that. little things and i think maybe it didn't bother me because i've seen this movie a few times uh, so i didn't really focus too much on like the elevator portion it just kind of made sense um but i was paying was attention to smaller things. elevators at the front at the front end of this movie yeah and I did, I did pick up and wrote down, like, oh, I guess elevators don't work now because he's gone. But then he wasn't gone because he was still in the past because he went back past. I don't know. The timey-wiminess of it really started to bug me a little bit at the end with, like, the revelation that Meg was in the... Meg Ryan was in the past the whole time because her future is in the past because she chose... I don't know. It was a thing. I know it's jumping ahead, but when Meg Ryan goes to the past with her, like her PC uh, chopped up blonde, bleach blonde hair in the 1890s, 
Well, I mean, also her dress, like, compared like, to everybody yeah, else. Like, her she dress. looks like a woman out of time, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, uh, no one has bleach blonde PC bangs in the 1890s. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Big Ryan. It's the 1870s, uh, but yes. 1870s. Okay. And then it, the movie just ends, and she's in the past, and we're supposed to not think to ourselves, cool, she just left everything behind to go to the past where she has no rights where everyone's horribly misogynistic and racist and like she's a progressive career woman how is she going to live this life now if she's not the kind of woman that i was that we were given any sort of read that she could do that and live that kind of life and not like she's going to speak up to someone and get thrown in jail or something because she's not being a proper 1870s woman it's gonna happen and it's just so many questions. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's very annoying but normal in a lot of rom-coms is that there is definitely a narrative towards, like, the female character uh, adhering to her traditional gender yeah. role of, like, being the wife yeah. and, like, sort it of that whole thing. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it kind of oh. makes sense that the, the movie would go that direction. She Her job promotion really... Okay, so the whole movie, she's trying to aim for this promotion at work. Um, she's an ad exec. She's, or, right, ad exec, I guess? She does market research. Market research, sure. Um, and she's up for this huge promotion, and her creepy boss wants to take her out to dinner and, like, all this creepy stuff, and he's a total sleazeball. By the end of the movie, she has turned him down. She has earned his respect and gotten the promotion without having to do anything sort of creepy with him. He's leaving, and she is now going to run the entire New York branch. She got this amazing promotion. She didn't have. She did it on her own. She didn't have to stoop at all, and she won the respect of all these men in her workforce. And then she leaves it all to because go to the Because she loves path. this guy. Love is the most important thing, Greg. It was two and a half days. <laughs> It wasn't even one of these movies where, like, he was out of time for a few months. We got these nice montage scenes. He had to go back in a week. And for the first few days, she didn't even speak to him. I don't know. Like, I like the movie overall, for sure. That logistic stuff really pissed me off. Like, I needed a bigger reason why she was going to hate her job other than Leopold's one speech at the pier about how bad capitalism is. Like... (laughs) And I thought she did a good job in that, um, putting him back in his place in that moment too, because she basically said, like, I've had to survive, like, I've had to fight for all that I've earned, and, like, I wasn't this rich Prince Duke person just given everything, and, like, dude, you're from the 1870s, I've been here for a few days, like, calm your tits, like. I did find that for for a 2001 movie, for there to be more than one reference to being, you know, uh, Leopold having privilege and not having to work for anything to be like weirdly progressive yeah like even his own uncle who's also like a fucking royal being like you were born into this and you haven't had to work for anything and like you need to acknowledge that that's a privilege and i was just like jesus but like it was just weird to me how leopold comes to modern day and suddenly knows more about modern day politics workplace environment social structures than seemingly everyone else and it's just like bang like uh, i'm gonna tell you exactly how to win that woman because even though this is a very different time period and women are treated and very different than they were in my time like he should have been more misogynistic 
I mean, I don't necessarily think that's true because not everybody from that time was like that. And the advice that he gives to Charlie really comes from the fact that they're out and he can see that Charlie is like talking about himself and nobody at the nobody at the table sensibilities to to him. Every like all his advice to Charlie is so modern, um, and it was just a little jarring for me, especially because like Kate immediately introduces herself uh, and he's like, "Oh, you're a you're a businesswoman," and like, well. Was there a, a lot of business women in the 1870s? Like, I don't think there was a lot of women in the workforce in the 1870s. I don't like, know enough about the 1870s women. to comment on the accuracy of that. He was just so accepting of everything immediately. Um, and it might be because I've seen some more, like, out-of-time movies more recently that I felt dealt with this a little better. Um I guess I, that's probably one of the things that was missing the most for me was some of the humor even coming from that. Like, there was some good, like, man out of time humor in there. Speaking of the misogyny portion, um, there were a couple of specific quotes that I wrote down because I was just like, God, they're, like, so terrible. Like, when at, in the early part of the movie, um, Kate is talking to Stuart on the phone and she says, I gave you my best years. And he responds, Those oh were your God. best years. I was like, That is straight savage like holy fuck it is so mean and then yeah. later when she's talking with her boss about um the the commercial spot and he's telling her all of these like things but he's basically saying oh well you're not like other girls i was like oh my god it's like women can never escape this that commercial was some of the best parts of the whole movie it was everything around this margarine commercial was hilarious to me and i loved all of it uh, I'm not going to lie, if it was a real commercial, it probably would be very effective. Wrote, it was, like, weirdly sexual. Maybe that's just my read of it. Uh, I wrote down, uh, this turtleneck is not doing much to prove his heterosexuality. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did this fucker just make a quill? How? He's been here 12 hours. How does he know this much? I love that he it's took the though. ink out of all of these pens. I was like, oh, just was, use the pen! Great. Just use the pen. Um, also, one of the other quotes that I wrote down, just solidifying the time frame that this oh. movie is said, is it's 4.30, we'll fax it. Yes. It's just like the most hilarious line of I dialogue. Line I was thinking, um, when they're talking about all the different people that might play this butter salesman or whatever, and then I think it was Kate just like goes, if you eat his butter or his margarine, it just like points over at Hugh Jackman and like, Okay, that's suggestive. Yeah. We shouldn't be talking about eating each other's margarine. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is very suggestive. Uh, I felt uh, Leopold's rant on toasters very relatable. Why is it the toasters can never actually toast something properly in one toast? Well, I mean, now we have toaster ovens where you actually have much more control over how well toasted something is. But, yeah. <laughs> I was Did wondering you ever in take that... Earth science ever hear of the space-time continuum? Uh, no, I didn't learn about space-time continuum and earth science that was just one random quote i pulled okay so on our ketchup scale of perfect as is could use a little ketchup or douse it where would you put this movie um it's hard because like it is kind of a time capsule right like i would definitely say even for 2001 standards i think it could use a little improvement i'd probably put a little bit of ketchup on it probably just smoothing out a little bit of the more romantic subplot of it and the time travel stuff that was a little 
weird. My biggest sticking point again is just that she is a career-driven career woman who is going to now go to the 1870s and give up all modern-day rights and conveniences that she has as a modern woman. Apart from that, I did enjoy it. It was really fun. There was a lot of great campy elements in it. Definitely just put a little ketchup on it. Yeah, I agree. Could use a little ketchup. Um, it's far from... I, and I knew when I recommended it to you that it's far from a f- perfect movie. But in terms of a movie that involves um, romantic comedy elements and um, uh, a character out of time, that it was a good recommendation to go with. It's definitely fun. A-plus cast. Uh, A-A-plus cast. So good. <laughs> uh, so that will be it for our first episode of Movie Catch-Up. Thank you all for joining us, and join us next time as we catch up on more movies that we haven't seen.